Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. This episode is kindly sponsored by NHS Test and Trace. With the kids finally back at school, hurrah, and some normalcy returning, we're all keen to keep life moving, aren't we? So, NHS Test and Trace are encouraging all adults in England to get tested twice a week using totally free rapid COVID-19 tests, which are now available for all adults in England. So, testing is going to help prevent the around one in three people who have COVID-19 but with no symptoms. So, they spread it with absolutely no knowledge that they are doing that. So we're all really busy, but rapid testing is a fast and easy way to find out if you have coronavirus with results in around 30 minutes. Isn't that brilliant? So you can order tests to home, which is what we've been doing, go to a test site or participating pharmacies. For more information and guidance online, go to nhs.uk forward slash get tested. That's nhs.uk forward slash get tested. And the more of us that take part, the more we can help protect each other. So, on to this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Mother of Kind podcast. I hope you're all really well this week. This week's guest really needs no introduction. Lorraine Pascal is a television personality, a celebrity chef, best-selling author of seven books. She also is incredibly positive and I found the conversation really inspiring and light-hearted and funny and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So Lorraine and I talk about parenting, what she learned from mothering her daughter Ella, who's now 25. We talk about relationships and healing and how to be you. I think that's really what I took from this episode. It's a really wide-ranging conversation. We go all over the show, as I'm sure you'll hear. But what I took from it and what I really took from Lorraine and her energy was really just how to be you, how to have compassion with yourself, how to take everything that you read and listen to, even on this podcast, with a pinch of salt and just to really show up as authentically you. So I hope you really enjoy it. Please do let us know what you think. As ever, here's the episode. Well, Lorraine, it's such an honour. I'm so excited I've wanted you on for years, so this is really exciting for me. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to come on. I'm very excited about it. How's lockdown been for you? You've been sharing quite openly on social media, the kind of highs and lows. Lockdown for me has been actually good, even though obviously the situation is really bad in the world. I mean, I've missed my daughter very much. I haven't seen her since February last year because she is filming and, you know, then we just haven't been able to see each other. But for me, it was a real time of reflection, of understanding myself more, of really getting to know myself. So I tried to make the best of it and I did a lot of studying. I got a master's degree over lockdown. 
as well. So I try to make the best of it. What did you learn about yourself? You said you did lots of reflection. What did you see? I learned that I don't like to be pigeonholed. I learned that I'm not really an introvert as much as I thought. I learned that because when you're doing modeling and then on television, it's a lot of being told what to do, what to eat, when to eat, where to go, where to stay, which the results that people see look fab and glamorous. And I've enjoyed it so much. But I realized that after 30 plus years of doing it, that I wanted to be more autonomous. And one of the reasons why I thought I was introvert is that when it comes back to normal life, for when I'm not filming or something, I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to go anywhere. I don't feel like, because I don't get the luxury of doing that for large periods of my life when I was working. I don't know if that makes sense. So people say, oh, you never want to go out because you're an introvert. It's like, no, actually I'm free an ambivert. And I do love being around people and I do love socializing. But I think being on television and doing all that kind of stuff took a lot of my energy. So interesting. I never thought of it that way. The, the lack of control that I guess you have over your day-to-day reality when you're filming a show like Bake Off or... Yeah, I mean, I'm 48. I've been doing since I was 16. Modelling, which I've loved. TV, which I've loved. But then it comes a point when it's just... <laughs> it, maybe I'll just take a, a bit of a break for now. But I've kind of retired myself from the shows in America, which I used to do a lot of. And I've stopped doing the shows here too. And I just really want to focus on the kind of next phase of me which is a lot more being my own boss so what's the intention with the masters are you going to become a practicing psychotherapist or is it more to give yourself kind of that context and background first of all I wanted to have something to do over lockdown so I knew that I'd go mad if I didn't have something to do so if I don't have a challenge I tend to get quite frustrated so I thought this would be an excellent challenge So I found a British Psychological Society accredited master's, MSc, Master of Science. And I didn't know. I'm very much a believer in trial and error, seeing if I like it, seeing how it goes. Because sometimes there's a tendency for us to have to think we know where each path is going to lead to. And we can overthink it, which can lead us not to do anything. So I just wanted to try and see what happened. And I found out that I very much like psychology. I very much enjoy that whole world of it. But when I completed it, I realized that I have also spent so many years in therapy that now I want to help people flourish. So it's kind of the other side of psychology. So it's less healing mental challenges, which is good. It's also more the other side, which is helping people flourish and helping people thrive and helping people build resilience and post-traumatic growth. And it's that kind of side of things that I'm really interested in yeah me too I think if I was going to do a master's I would do positive psychology which is everything you're describing it's that side of psychology which isn't fixing necessarily but giving us the tools in order to really thrive yeah because they work well together but for me I just realized I'm doing a PhD now and I was going to do it on emotional abuse in women over 40 what is it that makes women over 40 go into and stay in emotionally abusive relationships because obviously it's a lot harder to detect emotional abuse because you don't know is it happening is not happening but then I thought I don't want to spend four years studying that because I think it might be too much for me to be interviewing these amazing women who've gone through such hard times 
But I thought for my own boundaries, I need to now start looking towards, as you say, is the positive psychology and resilience side of things. You're so incredible. You've just done a master's and you're like, now I'm going to do a PhD. Yeah, no, I just like the challenge, I guess. But thank you for saying that. Are you good at stopping and slowing? Yeah, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I didn't really do anything. Just watch like 48 episodes of Beverly Hills Housewives. It's a good show. Oh, I'm so addicted. I just want to be there, I want to be on it. But I know I really want to be on it. Because I, I got the part to be on the New York Housewives, but I didn't want to leave my family here. Um, that was last year. You've got an incredible story. I've loved researching for this episode because we were talking about resilience. And I think, you know, when I look at you and your story, resilience is a word that really shines through because on paper, you know, in a way you shouldn't be where you are today, given your start in life. How have you, with that trauma, I guess, is a word that you use for it as well. How do you think you've healed that and got to where you you are today, which is a huge question, but I'd really love to unpack it because I think your story is so inspirational. Thank you. I think it's a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error and a lot of therapy. I had a social worker when I was younger. That's more like having someone to talk to rather than someone to kind of help you process things. And I went through a lot of therapists. And the reason I went through a lot of therapists is because there comes a point in time when you need to know more than your label. So I knew I was this. I knew I had this. I knew this. I could write a whole book on the issues I had. But knowing what was wrong with me or knowing why I acted a certain way didn't actually stop me from feeling a certain way or acting a certain way. So I'm very wary of all these labels that float around because I finally found a therapist and I said, this is what's wrong with me. This is what's happened to me. I don't want to go on about that. I'm not saying it this way to be flippant. It was a horrible time. I had a lot of heartache, a lot of trauma. However, all I need to know is if you can make it so I stop feeling this particular way. (laughs) And he laughed at me and he said, yes. So I think I'm always looking for solutions. If there's a problem, it's important to grieve it. It's important to feel it. And in a way, it isn't important to a degree to understand it. But then it's like, okay, what can I do now to feel better, to make it better, to heal? What books can I read? What YouTube videos can I look at? What online resources are there? What therapies can I afford or whatever? It's easy to stay stuck and it's easy to wallow in our self-pity, which is very different to just feeling it and being there. For me, there's always been a, a time where I need to move on and I need to figure out how I'm going to do that. Yeah, you're so right. When I think about the start of my kind of healing and recovery, it's so easy to feel like a victim. And I think I'm so happy that I also made that transition, which is like, okay, this stuff happened. Yes. What am I going to do about that? How long am I going to hold on to that? What were the, some of the things that I know everyone listening is going to be like, what did she do? Because there's a lot of people who I guess listening to this podcast, they're going to know their label. They're going to know their, I have anxiety. I have depression. I have trauma. I have whatever else labels. What are some of the most powerful things you did that helped you shift beyond those labels into just living more as you? I think it's a lot of ownership. For instance, I was in the gym this morning and there was a girl and she was talking about some relationships. She's having trouble with relationships. And then I was saying, oh, I hear that. I've had a lot of relationship trouble in my past. And then we were all talking and it said there comes a point when you have to take a look at yourself. And it's about looking at yourself. Stop blaming everyone else. If your dad did this and your mum did that, 
and your ex-boyfriend did this, I do have the utmost empathy and sympathy and it sucks and it's important to feel it and grieve it and process it. But then you have to take responsibility to feel better. It's not their responsibility to make you feel better. You know, if your parents were rubbish, it's not great. It sucks. But what are you going to do now to make yourself feel better? Don't look for them to change. Don't look for an apology. Don't look for finally they're going to start doing what they you want them to do. You just have to be responsible for your own happiness, your own healing, and stop blaming other people. If you keep dating assholes, which I have done, I mean, not now, I'm very happy now. In the past, some lovely guys as well, just putting that out there, but some are not great. A lot of the time, I would think, well, you know, when they were five, this happened, so, you know, I need to, almost being overcompensating for them, and then I'd get hurt or something. And the two lessons there are, I do, again, have empathy and sympathy and compassion for everyone's journey. But if what happened to you when you were four is still affecting me and us now, then you're not ready to have a relationship with me, (laughs) number one. And also, my therapist said to me once, I said, I just don't get it, these guys, you know. And he's like, it's not, Lorraine, why they don't just get it. It's why you don't get it, you know. (laughs) The world is full of lovely people and there's some people that aren't great. But when you find someone that you go out with who isn't nice, it's our choice, isn't it, to carry on going out with them? Yeah, that was a big, 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 painful realisation for me when I think (laughs) someone said to me, you meet people that you are an emotional match for. So if you are meeting unavailable men, Mm -hmm. typically with some sort of addiction issue in the background, you're a match for that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be attracted to them. So it's on you. Well, I have a funny thing about that because I think that in the dating pool, there's a lot of people, especially as you get older, who may have issues, which is why there's more of them in the dating pool. I think we attract all sorts of people. It's just whether or not we choose to carry on with them. Yeah, and exactly. To realise well, I'm not just attracting the kind of person that I am, because then I would start feeling bad. I realised that it's more, we're going to attract loads of people, you know, bright, we're chatty. So we're going to attract loads of people, but it's about knowing what your values are and living out those values and, and making sure that the people you meet also embody those values. And if they don't, you just have to get rid. So it's very freeing to realize that you will attract all sorts of people. Again, if they're emotionally available or not, it's like, what do you want? I want someone who's consistent, who can be intimate, who this, that, and the other. And so if I meet someone, whatever their label may be, if they're not my values, then I'm not interested. And it's really useful to have that list in front of you. Friends, family, work, live by the values. It's very powerful. Do you make that list before you met your current partner? (laughs) Yes. So I took all the exes that weren't weren't great and I put all the things that they were that I didn't like that upset me, like inconsistent, didn't like intimacy, not funny (laughs) or something like that. And then I flipped it. And I made those the values that I did want. And yes, I did live by that. (laughs) And also, whenever I went on a date, if there was a red flag or something that made me go like, hmm, I wrote it down in my iPhone notes. Because what happens in the beginning is we're all googly eye and we like so much of them. And then the red flags that are flying, we kind of just gloss over them because there's so much of the other stuff. So if you write it down, well, no matter how small it may seem, and then I would go and talk to a friend and say, okay, they did this, or a therapist, because I wasn't very good at choosing people (laughs) at times. 
How did you change that? Do you think that was the inner work that you did? Or do you think that was using those tools that you've just described being better at values and red flags? It was inner work for sure. It was a lot of healing that I did insofar as forgiveness is a huge one. Because when you start forgiving people, you kind of release that nasty sting that you might have when you think about them or when you're around them. So I think I forgave a lot of people, which doesn't make what they did okay. And I didn't tell some people that I forgave as well. It's a personal, private thing. So it was a lot about forgiveness and managing my expectations of people who I did still have in my life where relationships were perhaps challenging. It's managing my expectations of what I had always wanted them to be like and realizing that that's never going to happen and accepting them for who they are. So that's a really big one to manage expectations. So it was a lot of inner work. I did a lot of EMDR, which is very good for trauma. A lot of the therapy that worked for me was, I don't know if there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's how so much of our trauma is carried in our bodies. And therefore it's important to work with the body, not just the mind, because lots of memories we had, we have or things that trigger us, we actually don't know on a conscious level. So it's really important. I would work with a therapist we'd be talking and he'd sort of say, oh, where are you feeling that? And I'd say, in my stomach. And is it moving, you know, when we're talking about something from the past and allowing it to move through the body. So that was a very big part of stuff that I found worked because just talking about it, it feels nice and it can be enlightening, but it doesn't necessarily heal things on a deeper level if you have like a lot of trauma. Yeah, it's so interesting. That's been a real theme over the past kind of five guests, actually. Oh, has it? Yeah, somatic and body work. And it's no surprise that that's exactly what I'm working on at the moment. So it's just amazing synchronicity that every guest I'm having is talking about that. It's so interesting, isn't it? That book is just game changing, I think. Yes. And it just, it works, you know. And even now, when I'm triggered or something, I go into my body I feel where it is. I try and bring myself back into the here and now. And I allow myself to kind of feel where it is in the body. Because often when you feel anxious or scared or something, it's a physical feeling. And so it's important to honor that as well. We can't just heal using our head and thinking and talking. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's so amazing. Yeah. I personally don't think it works if you've got deep trauma. I think you need to do more than that. Somatic therapy, sensory therapy, all of those things. EMDR is great. So obviously there's no like physical touching in my experience. That's not what it is. It's becoming aware of your body and sensations in your body and processing it with a trained therapist. Sometimes I used to get my therapist like a hundred miles an hour and he's like, okay, well, let's just bring it to the here and now. (laughs) How are you feeling? You know, and I go, oh, blah, again, he says, but how are you feeling within yourself? You know, and I'll say, oh, my, and then you start processing your bodily sensations. It's so powerful. Yeah, I think because a real, well, it's all in the book, isn't it? But a real response to trauma is just to dissociate. Yeah. And it's just so fascinating when you start to come back online, as my somatic therapist says it, oh, you've come back online. The difference is remarkable. I'm also really grateful for that dissociation because, you know, it got me through. It was an amazing survival. Our body is amazing. Yeah, it really is. I wanted to talk to you about motherhood. Particularly, I'm so interested in, you know, when you first became a mother in those early years, how that 
felt for you, given that I'm guessing at that point you hadn't done a lot of this deep work that you have now and what motherhood brought up for you and what you saw about yourself and, and how much that was a motivation to do, you know, all the work that you've, you've now done on yourself? I think when you have a child, if you've been through a lot of trauma as a child, you can go one of two ways. You can go the same way or you can go the opposite way. And I just went the opposite way. So I wanted to be in the same house, not move around very much. You know, I was always asking how she was. So I kind of went the way of not smothering, but just being very loving, very huggy and in that way. It didn't really bring stuff up for me so much other than I want to make sure that I give her everything that I didn't have and more. But Mm -hmm. my mum was very huggy as well, but she had lots of issues as well. So I just wanted to make sure, you know, things like arguing in front of my daughter. I didn't want to do that. Just make it a much more enjoyable experience. That was my goal. Mm, What type of a mother are you, would you say? If your daughter was going to describe you, what would you say? I'm strict. (laughs) Are you strict? Yes, I'm strict. I'm loving, but I'm very strict. I don't take, I mean, less now, but growing up, everything had to be pleased, had to be happy, thank you. I didn't spoil. I wanted to teach her confidence, kindness, compassion, respect. Wanted to make sure that how good it is to have your own money, not to ever depend on someone else for money, all those kind of things. And to trust yourself. So a lot of the lessons that my mother taught me as well. But yeah, it was important to have strong boundaries, both of us as well, to teach each other about boundaries. And you've got the kind of beauty of perspective now, because my girls and a lot of the people listening to the podcast have children who are, you know, younger. What would you say to, you know, your younger self? You know, imagine that your daughter's kind of five again. Now, given the perspective that you've got, what would you say to yourself? i say you're doing great, <laughs> you know. When they're younger, it's so much easier. It's so much easier. Like when they go into teenagehood, you just forget about everything before then because it's so much easier when they're young. And when they come into teenagers, it's like pick your battles. <laughs> pick your battles. What was challenging about the teenage years? I've got all this to come. I've got two girls, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when people say, you know, oh, I've got five-year-old, six-year-old, it obviously it's hard. I'm not taking away from that at all. I know it is hard, but when they get with, with girls, I've heard people have girls and boys. Girls are much more challenging. I think boys are more challenging when they're younger. They probably get ill more. They need more, you know, this is what I've told. They get colds more and coughs more. Girls are more independent. And then when it comes to teenager, they kind of switch around. (laughs) So for teenager, just pick your battles, I would say. That's the best advice someone ever gave me. Pick your battles. I'm just reflecting, reflecting on pick your battles and... You know what? Enjoy it. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> what advice do you give your daughter now? Do you have that sort of relationship where she will ask you for advice? And what are yeah. the things that are really important for you to impart to her? Well, I don't like giving unsolicited advice. I only like if she asks me for advice. I'm very big on just listening rather than just going, nah, 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 you know, because they don't want to hear that. <laughs> Maybe asking questions to help them find their own solutions so that's kind of what I prefer to do when she was first teenager I was full of advice and the thing is when you give so much advice they start to lose confidence in their own ability to make decisions so I kind of pull back and now I'm just yeah trying I mean I'm sure I've made lots of mistakes 
but <laughs> but I just uh, try and listen and not stick my oar in unless invited. <laughs> yeah, it's so true that, isn't it? Like, I think when we're giving advice unsolicited, I think the kind of unconscious message is, I don't think you can handle this yourself. That's exactly it. And I realised I was doing it once and I was like, oh God, but Ellie, you make such good decisions. You make really good decisions. And it's that, as she started to get older, I realised I needed to say more rather than coming in thinking you're saving the day when you're actually, like you said, kind of saying, I make the decision for you because you can't make your own decision. So yeah, that's really important. Do you find that easy to do? Because I know so many mothers, when they experience their child in pain, I experience this. I just want to fix that pain that's my reflex I have to consciously like take a breath and be like I don't need to fix this for her I can allow her to figure this out to get it wrong to whatever it might be is that reflex still there for you to want to fix yeah <laughs> okay good I was thinking wow Lorraine's like nailed this whole oh, I'm across like that I am not at all but what I'm just realizing as they get older I mean she's 25 this year when they get to, the, especially teenagers, well, you'll also get the feedback that maybe they don't want your feedback. <laughs> so then it kind of happens naturally because you're being told that because they want to find out themselves. They want to find out for themselves. They want to explore for themselves. All my lessons are firmly grounded in big mistakes that I've made. <laughs> I think those are the best lessons, aren't they, that come out of the mistakes? You share a lot on your social platform about daily habits. I wanted to share with everyone or for you to share with everyone what are some of the things that you regularly do I know you're really passionate about gratitude and but what are some of the other things that you do to keep yourself resilient and positive well exercise is huge for me you know obviously it's great for your body for the way you look and feel it's great for fitness I need it for my head I need it to clear my head and that's really important having a routine Because if you don't have a routine, especially over lockdown or especially when you're in crisis or you kind of feel out of control. So like every morning I get up, my gym kit on, you know, walk the dog, go to the gym. That's that's why I I have the days off. But I didn't realise the importance of having a a routine until I was quite a lot older and sort of my early 40s. It's everything. So I've got a fitness routine that I do and I kind of got, I know what I'm doing. Also, Eating, I was eating a lot over lockdown. And so that's an important part of my routine is to eat more healthy because I did not over lockdown. It was like Chardonnay and Pong Cocktail Crisps. And <laughs> I don't know. I put on four kilos, but I've lost it now. But look, first and second lockdown, eat a whole day. The third lockdown, time to stop being silly. Can't have crisps all day, every day. Another part of my routine is trying to savor the moment. So like if I'm stroking the dog or or that kind of thing, it's all these science-based practices, interventions, if you will, that can help us feel better and have more life satisfaction. Having a purpose is important to me, something that I'm striving for. All of these things form part of my daily routine. I used to meditate, but I haven't done that for a while. I don't know why I didn't. Maybe because it was less stressful. (laughs) I sat at home all the time. And friends, community, friends is so important. And it's something that I was always the person cancelling and lockdown brought that out in me, how important it is. I've always been good at calling people and emailing and texting, but actually seeing people now, I realise that's so important. The importance of good friends, good company, spending time with people. That's a really important part of my daily routine as well. 
I think a lot of people will resonate with that kind of cancelling on people. I know I do. What was going on for you when you would do that? Would it be overwhelm or just anxiety? What would be the root cause of that? Well, I think it was partly one, if I didn't feel a tiny bit like going, I wouldn't go because I was always, so there was that part of it. But then also I was like, I value consistency as one of my values. And yeah, I'm not being consistent myself. So I know you'll see it as showing up or something on social media, <laughs> showing up for people, but I'm just like, I'm not really living my values because if my friend makes an arrangement with me and cancels, I don't mind, but yeah, prefer them not to because I'll be looking forward to seeing them and looking forward to... So then I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that. So unless I've got like a migraine or something, I'm honouring the commitments I make. And it makes you feel good. It makes you feel really good. So just be more reliable, which is what I like in other people. (laughs) I was being a hypocrite, basically. It's so powerful that though, isn't it? Because I noticed that where I judge people most harshly is typically where I've got the most work to do is that a truism that you found as well I think it's what you read a lot about in some ways you read on on Instagram and that that yeah that people reflect things and I think to a degree they do but then it also might trigger something else within you that leaves looking at so it might not be a like for like thing if that makes sense so if someone is doing something it might be that you also do it but it might be that it also reminds you of something else or something that your parents did or something you know so I yeah think- you're right and I think that's sometimes a danger isn't it with there's so much nuance behind mm. things like this there's so much nuance and sometimes particularly on Instagram it can be hard to move away from those sound bites how do you find social media because obviously you're kind of showing up on social media with quite different content than I guess you, you used to yeah how have you found that? What's been your experience and your kind of insights from that? Well, in me posting, I find it difficult sometimes because it took a long time to move the shift away from cakes and everyone going, where's the cake all the time? You know, and I have loved it and I love cooking, but it's so saturated now, cooking. with It's like so saturated that I just, you know, I can add a bit more rosemary to the shepherd's pie or something or, you know, put in asparagus instead of peas. I almost felt like, Every recipe has been done to death and it's just a rehash. And I didn't feel like I could give people who follow me for cooking. I didn't think I had anything new to give them anymore. And it was kind of like not honest saying, and here's shepherd's pie, but, you know, we've slow roasted, (laughs) which is fine. But for me, I just felt like I wanted to give more. And it's such a huge part of me and that is helping people thrive that I really wanted to use that. In all my recipe books, I've got quotes on psychology and stuff like that. So I've always loved it. But it is difficult because you put something up and it might not get, doesn't get as many likes. You're like, oh God, am I doing the wrong thing? And do I have to define a niche or can I just be me? And I'm not the same as other celebrities because I'm, you know, I'm studying and what am I? And all these questions. (laughs) So I'm just trying to be authentic which I'm not trying to be authentic. I am just authentic on it. How do you do that then? How do you make peace with, like you said, I'm just showing up as me. How do you make peace with those? Sounds like there's some inner talk there around. How do you do that? Because I experience that a lot. I think there's nothing more kind of exposing in a way than particularly Instagram. And I find myself thinking, am I showing the right type of content? Do I need to be more like this person? Because it's so noisy. 
Yeah. I feel like there's so many amazing people. Like I've even looked at yours before and gone, oh, maybe I should do a bit more of what the ladies do. Like how do you stay in your lane? I think it's just about being honest. I know there's a lot of people who have got millions of followers and they're pan- they panic. You know, they panic. So I think it's just a thing. I think it's just a thing. I think it's part of it. But I'm always battling with it. But I just think it's post what you want. It's your Instagram account. It's your party. If people don't like it, they know they can just unfollow. (laughs) And so I think it's having the confidence to just post what you want to post. That's what you should do. Post what you want to post. No one actually really knows what they're doing. You know, it's about testing and trying things out and seeing how things go. Like there's no one that really knows 100% this is what we should do. There's lots of companies that tell you that they can do stuff and they do know some tricks, but at the end of the day, it's all trial and error, isn't it? And there's all these people like in the middle of nowhere, young ones. I know young people are more inclined to follow and share, so they'll probably grow much more quickly. However, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have some expert. They're just trying it out and seeing what works. So it's just about having confidence and remembering that Because the old school way of thinking is you have your niche, you have your audience, what's your brand, what you're saying, like this. And I'm like, I don't have no idea. I don't don't really know. I don't know what I just, I like helping people there. That's my brand, you know? (laughs) So yes, I just have the confidence. And I love this. I put it on my Instagram um, yesterday about courage. Courage is just about doing it with fear. Even though you might feel anxious, just do it anyway. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with that. And what's your view on kind of the rise of social media? You know, given your interest in positive psychology and resilience, do you think overall is it helpful or do you think that it's damaging? I think it can be helpful and it can be damaging, but it's all about picking who you follow. And it's about taking things with a pinch of salt, no matter who's saying it, if they're a doctor or not or whatever, take it with a pinch of salt. For me, if anyone triggers me, even if it's someone, a friend, I just mute them, <laughs> you know, because I don't have time for that. I don't have time for self-induced feeling bad. If it's somebody I can just unfollow or mute. I try to follow people who make me feel good or at least neutral <laughs> or helpful. And I did get lost in that whole psychology thing where you're this and if you're doing that and if you're not doing this and if you triggered it's that. Like, that's so dangerous. I think it's irresponsible because there's probably not a person on this planet that's done more. I've done so much therapy. I'm also studying psychology and I still get triggered. I still meet people who aren't very nice. I still get cheated badly. It's not something to heal. And just because I'm triggered, it does not mean that I've got more work to do. (laughs) Because I have been in a very fortunate position to see very good therapists for a very long time. And I work it. I've done like the Al-Anon. I've done all these different programs. I've done, God, I've done everything. And so you still do get triggered. It's just how you manage it. It's not about healing as in, oh, you know, I hurt this and now it's completely gone. And that means I'm great. We'll always get triggered. Not all the time, but we will get triggered at times. And it's just how we respond. So I think that therapy and healing is not about suddenly gone away it's about we act differently we respond in a different way and it's less likely to affect our daily lives because we have the tools of what to do when these things come up so to me that's healing it's being more at peace with myself I read something that 
therapy is not about healing. It's about getting people to be better at feeling. You just allow yourself to feel. It's okay to feel. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel down as long as you're not down too long, too often. (laughs) All these things are okay. And I think we're afraid of emotions. And my friend said to me last week, or I can't remember what it was actually, she said, I don't want to feel better. I want to get better at feeling. That's it. I thought that was so wise. I thought that was absolutely spot on, particularly as as children. You know, I never got taught how to feel my feelings. That's something I have to learn in adulthood. Yeah, allow it. Just allow it. And there's times when you can really allow it. And then there's times where you have to work or do stuff and you have to be sensible and like, okay, now I can't do it right now. You know, I'm in the middle of an interview or something, but I will go over this and process it another time. It's okay to feel, especially in the UK, it's okay to feel. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's just how you demonstrate that anger. For anxiety, people on medication, I'm always like, all of that is fine. If the doctor thinks you need to be on medication as long as you're being monitored regularly, it's totally fine. That's what I advocate anyway. I just love your, uh, just your acceptance and compassion and, and also the lightness that you bring to this. I think sometimes it can be easy, as we were talking about at the start, you know, particularly with psychotherapy and trauma for it to feel quite heavy. What I love is that despite all the challenges and the evident trauma you've had, the kind of lightness that you bring to it. It's so, yeah, it's really infectious and it's really refreshing. Thank you. Well, I've been down the whole, you know, when you read all the books, Road Less Travel, The This, Celestine Prophecy, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And you're like head spinning with, you know, my thoughts create everything. I'm like, my God, I'm a wreck. And then I was like, you know what? Get rid of all the self-help books like that unfollow the accounts which are telling me that if I'm triggered I've still got a lot of work to do or whatever or that you know people think you attract because it makes you feel awful if you think oh I've attracted this horrible person how's that gonna make you feel rather than if you know we're in the dating pool there's a lot of people who do have issues so you have to be extra specially selective Just don't stay with them. Just move on. <laughs> and so are you reading any books at the moment? I guess you had to read a lot for your degree. Yeah, I did have to read a lot, but it was like books on sociology and all the trauma stuff and the trauma work I've done is more my personal, either from doing therapy or it's just my own personal study. But yeah, I did read a lot of books. I read more research papers now. So like the things I like to write about are all science-based, based on research rather than fluffy stuff. I am spiritual, <laughs> but I don't like to state things that aren't necessarily true unless there's research. So I like to make sure there's research behind it. <laughs> mm, so what are you reading at the moment? Is there a book you're reading at the moment? I'm actually reading a lot about courage and I'm reading to understand courage more the research behind courage and how to measure it and how to build it and that kind of thing so I'm very interested in the things like hope courage flourishing just those kind of words compassion all those things which have a lot of research behind that can really help us and the interventions that can help us as well so I just kind of look at all the latest research and Belonging is a big thing I'm interested in because there's a whole thing about diversity, which is really about numbers and inclusion, which is about being invited to the table. You know, I'm a black woman, grew up in a white family. I mean, I don't know where we are. To me, it's all about belonging 
And especially with people working hybrid, some all this work at work, at home and in the office, it's about how we can feel we belong in that kind of environment. What does belonging mean to you? How do you know when you belong somewhere? Sense of belonging to me is about feeling valued and feeling part of something bigger than yourself. So you could be belonging like a fitness group or something, or you could have a big family, or you could belong to yeah an extended family, or belonging, feeling like, yeah, I should be at work. This feels like, uh, you know, it feels like home, rather than, yeah, I'm working here and I'm just getting paid, but I don't feel like I belong. I mean, we've all been maybe with a group of people or somewhere, or a shop or something where they're a bit stuffy, and you kind of feel like, oh, I don't really feel like I belong here. So that's like not belonging. <laughs> but then you meet a group of people and they're like, oh, this is, yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I fit. But it's not making yourself fit. It's just a naturally I fit rather than trying to fit, if that makes sense. Valued and feeling part of something. Renee Brown's research is amazing on belonging, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I love her stuff. She does a lot of stuff that I arranged in the, vul- the vulnerability because I didn't know about her until quite recently. And my friend said, do you know you're talking about all the same topics that Brené Brown does? Vulnerability, belonging, courage, all of that kind of thing. It's so but, fascinating. And I think there's never a time when those topics are more important than now. For my dissertation, I did anxiety, for my, my final thesis. And it was amazing to see how much anxiety that so many people had over lockdown, how much it was like, it was like over half of people in the United Kingdom had like really high levels of anxiety. It's really interesting to see that. So yeah, I think there's going to be a bit of a fallout. I mean, I hope not, but we definitely need to put some measures in place to help people, especially those that can't receive therapy and support. And you know, something I always say is not all therapy is good therapy. You might see a therapist and not good. Sorry, therapist. Some people might not think I'm a good chef, so that's fine. Some therapists just aren't good. They don't work. I've seen some of them. They tell you everything about what happened to you and why you are. And I remember one therapist said to me, after me telling her all the adoption, fostering, she was like, well, I think most of your problems stem from the fact that you're black. And I was like, what? (laughs) I didn't even mention my colour. (laughs) I didn't mention one thing about racism or anything like that. I don't know what you're talking about. So sometimes it takes a while to find the right therapist like it does to find the right hairdresser or the person that does your nails if you get your nails done sometimes it takes a minute just because they're qualified doesn't mean that they're right yeah I totally agree with you and I had an experience like that as well I think it was the first therapist I went to I was young like 21 and I was telling her about what was going on and it was a really hard time for me And she didn't ask me any further questions when I kind of said my spiel, which is always a bit of a red flag, I think. Yeah. (laughs) She then went, well, I think, again, I think that's a red flag. Just like in your experience, she went, I think you have a problem with women. I was like, where did you get that from? When I was 21, I was broken. I was desperate for some some tools and support. And it's so disconcerting when that happens because there's a part of me like, is she right? And what would that mean? But now looking back, I can be like, that was almost like unethical what she did to me so yeah you're so right it's so important so to... <laughs> and then there's what you know <laughs> in a session where it's like now that's not right <laughs> or people often say to me oh you go over your childhood and you're very flippant when you say it you know because you go over it so quickly and it's like 
I've been over it 9,000 times. <laughs> so I just want to get through that and then we can start working on it. <laughs> so I'm not flipping, I promise you. It's just that I've said it so many times and in interviews. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they do jump to conclusions and you can kind of get a sense when it really is not right at all. I think it's important for people to hear that as well. So I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Oh, let me have a think. If I could give one gift, it would be the power of self-belief because what really helped me is believing that I was good enough, believing that I was a good enough mother. And it's that, please believe you are good. You're more than good enough. You're a good enough parent. Just really believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself. That's super important. That's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, I just wanted to say one more thing. The stigma attached to mental health is ridiculous. Like, I don't even understand it. I spent a lot of time in America and and Australia where it's much more openly spoken about. I just want to say that if anyone's out there suffering, it's so important to go and get help online or your GP or something. Just keep trying because it's difficult. It's difficult to find somebody. And just remember... Everyone has felt down at some point. Everyone's had a hard time. Everyone's been upset. Everyone's felt anxious. So the stigma is ridiculous because anyone that says they hasn't felt those things, and I'll show you a liar, because everyone feels those things. So, you know, I've been to therapy. I have taken medication in the past. So it's all okay. And I just put it out there to make people feel like it's okay. It is okay. And if anyone has a problem with it, just tell them to message me on Instagram. (laughs) Because it's ridiculous. It's just mental health, physical health. Same. No different. One you can see more, one you can't. So please don't be ashamed. Go and get help. I know it's not about this podcast, but I just wanted to say that. It is. You know, we talk about mental and emotional health every week. Thank you so much for your time. I I love this chat and getting to know you a bit better. So thank you. Thank you so much. So good to talk to you. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.